is that time of the week again. Yes, it's Flat Out RC podcast time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Sill, coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. I think I've said that line 152 times because this is the 152nd uh, episode of the Flat Out RC podcast, which is pretty good. I'll give myself a pat on the back now. 152 is a big number, uh, but in, enjoy. I do still do enjoy talking to people. And today we've got we're talking gliding again. I know we talked gliding a few weeks ago, but uh, we're back talking gliding with Jim Hudalakis, who I saw at the IMAC Nationals and said, "Jim, I've been trying to get you on. You got to come." And he was a little bit reluctant, but uh, we got him through. And uh, yeah, had a good good chat. So stay tuned for that. But before we get into that, let's have a look at what's happening around the traps. Okay, there are a lot of events happening. If I forget somebody's event, it's not because I don't want to mention your event. It's because I'm stupid and I can't keep track of all the requests that I've had. So I'd like to apologize for not being organized. But anyway, I'm going to get through some of the events that I know that are coming up. Uh, The Banzel event's over. By the time this episode comes out, it's done dusted. Don't need to mention that. So there's one cab off the rank I don't need to mention. I hope you had a good time at the Bairnsdale uh, Warbirds event that was held last weekend. Uh, the Bragg Club, the Borbore Radio Modelers uh, Association in Gippsland, their club is located on the banks of Blue Rock Lake. Or Blue Rock Dam, one of the two. And it's a uh, beautiful spot for flying float planes. If you... Jumped on the Flat Out RC YouTube channel, you would have seen the video that I shot down there earlier in the year, and it was a great experience. If you haven't flown off the water, you got to do it. Go and buy a little foamy or something like that and get out there and have a fly. They're having their float fly, uh, fun and float fly day on the 26th of November, 2023, down here in Victoria at their club. Um, jump onto Facebook. You, if you go to the Borbor, look up Borbor, B-A-W-B-A-W, Radio Modelers Association, or BRAG, club you'll see the details but um they got some great raffle prizes including a chainsaw local you know they're getting a lot of support the, the committee they're doing a great job in really getting some enthusiasm about getting this new club up and running um so uh you can um get on down there 26th of november take a float plane that's what i suggest uh the Echuca smackdown event which is something that i am hoping to attend which is the Echuca aerobatic smackdown 18th and 19th of November. Uh, it is an event that is focused on aerobatic flying. Well done. It's just a fun fly event, a bit similar to the, the, the events that I used to run back in the day, the 3D Hobby Shop Fly Low Ends and then the Flat Out RC Fly Low Ends when I changed the brand. But, uh, but um, yeah, hoping to get on down there for either one or both days. Um, I was talking to my friend Con Gabriel and he has organised accommodation. So I've got the opportunity to stay down there, assuming the weather is good and stuff like that. I want to come down and join that event because I'm an aerobatics fan. I don't know what plane I'm going to take. I've got to do some maintenance on my big plane, which I would have liked to have flown there. Um, and I've got some other planes. I don't have a shortage of planes to fly down at the Echuca Aerobatics Smackdown. A whole bunch of mates will be down there as well. So come and join us. 18th and 19th of November at the Echuca Club. It's a, it is a state flying field down here in Victoria. Guaranteed a lot of laughs and a lot of fun. So um, well done to the club down there for putting that event on. The Echuca Aerobatic Smackdown. Get online, have a look at where the Echuca Club is. Again, Echuca Moama Model Aero Club 
get onto their join their group. Um, there's a webpage as well, Chukamoma Malera Club uh, webpage um, details be on there. And my local club's actually running an event, um, which is their kit and scratch build day. And I had the details up in front of me, and now it's gone missing. I will find it, but um, oh no, it's in my email. That's why. Uh, Sunday the twelfth of November. Uh, Pendark scratch and kit build scale rally. Uh, it's it's really to showcase kit building and um, scratch building. Uh, so bring your models there. Uh, there's also I think there's giving out some prizes and stuff like that, and there's some prizes for like static models, you know, so models that aren't complete and stuff like that. So that will be a good day to attend down at the Pakenham Field down here. If there's any other events happening around in other states, I should really check my Facebook Messenger. A lot of people send me messages on on events that are happening around. But um, anyway, if I have forgotten about the events, then just yell out and um, I will mention them. I apologize if I have forgotten about your event. I'll get on the ball in the next couple of weeks. Uh, anyway, speaking of events, just want to recap the IMAC Nationals um, event that was held at the Packenham Club, my local field. And I dropped down on the Saturday to have a look. And um, I'll tell you what, it was a well-run event. Everybody kept on saying, gee, what a well-run event. They did thousands of flights. Uh, amongst all the competitors, there were 46 or something, I think, in total around that number. I did shoot a video, but I haven't edited it because um, it was a really, really windy day on the day that I was there, so there wasn't a lot of flying. So I don't think my video is going to be up to standard, so I decided not to to, to leave it. But, um, but it, yeah, it was a three-day event, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Friday um, weather was okay. Saturday was blowing a gale, and Sunday was really nice. So it was perfect weather, I think, on Sunday, but um, Saturday was a shocker. But everyone flew. A few planes had a little bit of damage. It was really tricky to get the planes back on the ground. Um, but um, everybody flew really, really well. And um, I'm not sure whether I've got all the results in front of me. I'm just going to have a look. I know some of the people uh, uh, that... Um, that won, but um, I think we had Stephen Huggy Greg win unlimited. I know that he's been on the uh, on the uh, podcast. Jack Clark won basic. Well done to Jack, a guy that I've met many many years ago. It was good to see him back in action, flying. Big Gavin Sexton came second in basic. Remember, I always say basics where it's at. Um, as far as the other categories goes, there's a lot of different winners, a lot of different categories, and they all did a really really good job. Uh, and Joey Tavora took out the uh, Tavara, sorry, took out the um, freestyle event, which is good to see big numbers in the freestyle community as well, getting out there as part of the event, which I love. It's my personal favourite to see the freestyling, and uh, it was good. And well done to my club. What a field! It looked beautiful. Um, the grass was good. I know that uh, my mate Craig down there does a good job, and his team of merry men. Well done. Everybody appreciated it. And big shout out, Sandra Sexton, Gavin's wife. She did a great job organizing food. On the Saturday night, they, we had like a spit roast. They had a, a catering company come in and we had a marquee and we all sat down and had a meal. And that was just uh, nothing beats, you know, beyond the flying at a flying field, nothing beats uh, sharing a meal with your fellow aero modelers. That's where a lot of the memories are made. And it was um really, really good until a whole bunch of young guys stole my hat and made me angry. You know who you are. You made me angry when you stole my hat because you stole my really good hat in the dark. But anyway, I'm just king of the kids. I don't know. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the event. And um, well done to everybody that attended. 
good job. Get to your local events. There's plenty happening. Get onto your local state associations, MAAAs and all that kind of stuff and um, have a look at their calendars and um, see what's going on. But there's plenty of good events happening. And as I say, get on down. Okay, guest time now. Enough of my yakking. Let's get a guest on. Jim Hudalakis. Good Greek guy from down my neck of the woods. He lives very close to me. And it was interesting. I'd, I'd never really had a, a, a chat with Jim and um, to find out more about um, his history in flying. There was a lot of um, synergies. You know, we grew up in the same area, so um, I can relate to some of the stuff that he was talking about. And uh, I, I always say I do love gliding because I do. And I love gliding competition as well. And I hope to one day participate with Jim's help because I've now made him my wingman since he lives near me i'm going to go and grab my glider i'm going to go and show him and say here you go fix it now let's get it going so um here's my chat with jim hudelakas well the man that i'm about to talk to is actually sitting a suburb away from me we probably should have gotten the same room and done this jim hudelakas thanks for joining me yeah thanks for having me i feel like i could throw a stone and you could catch it but uh anyway because you're just where you're in brighton aren't you yeah yeah, so North North Brighton. I uh, I grew up in Brighton, so know the area well. So very very close to me now, Jim. I've been chasing you down for a while. Like I've said this about many guests. You know, the biggest challenge with producing this podcast is just getting guests organised. And I, I we've connected a number of times. I saw you on the weekend at the IMAC Nationals, and I said to you, Jim, you're coming on, and you're here. So thank you for joining me. Yeah, well, I like to, you know, drop in and say hello to my friends when they're in town, especially. And they're from interstate. Well, we, were, we did the same thing because I wasn't competing at the IMAC Nationals, but there were a lot of people there that I knew, and uh, I thought I'll take the opportunity to come and say good day as well. So we should have coupled. Anyway. <laughs> um, now, Jim, I don't know a lot about your history in model flying. I just know that you've been on the gliding scene. I see your name in the results all the time and, and always pretty high up there as well. So, you know, I thought I want to get you on and – you know, talk a bit about gliding and, and, and your, your life in aero modeling, but where did it all begin? How did you get started in this crazy, crazy hobby? Uh, well, I think my first exposure to it was uh, I went to Elstonwick Primary School, um, which is not that far from Elstonwick Park. Oh, know it well. So, so uh, yeah, you know, morning recess, you'd see, you know, often you'd look in the direction of the park and you'd see this plane-looking thing climbing into the sky and then this parachute would release, and uh, this thing would fly around, and I had no idea what the hell it was. But uh, you know, later to discover it was you know some two meter RC glider going up a bungee. So this would have been late seventies, I think. When I, was, when I was in primary school, was the BMX track still there? Oh, none of that was there. Elstonwick Park was uh, two big flat um, squares. We, we could actually hold three cricket. It was fantastic. It was all flat. You could hold three cricket games there at one time. That's how big it was. Not anymore. This, uh, like I've, I drove past it the other day and I went, yeah, it's not like it used to be. There's a lot of trees around. Wouldn't be good for flying planes yeah. here. They ruined it. Yeah. Greened that up, put a lake on one side. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Anyway, what do you do? So, okay. So you saw gliders there, like I did in my youth. Actually, I think... I think the first time I flew a model plane was at Elstonwood Park. Um, and so you saw the glider, but then how, how did it progress from seeing it to doing it? So 
the first time I got my hands on anything model related was uh, probably where a lot of people of that era started, which is the uh, ubiquitous uh, PT-19 ah, control line. The Cox the iPhone little Cox, The little Cox uh, motor. And, uh, yeah, I think I must have got it as a Christmas present from Samarillo. And, uh, yeah, I just loved it, tinkering with that motor, trying to get it to start. took forever. I think I think when I finally got it started and going, I'd, I'd ridden down to Elstowee Park. Yeah, I dropped my bike down. Set up, set it up, uh, got the motor started finally after a long try. I think I uh, got into the air, got about three, tur- you know, three circuits, got dizzy, tripped over my bike and smashed the plane. <laughs> perfect. That, that is the, 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 the perfect start to an aero modeling career, right? And so then, then what happened? You thought, that's it? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there was nobody in my family had, had, you know, any love or, you know, anything to do with flying or let alone RC flying. So, um, I think, uh, I only sort of got my first kit once I could accumulate a bit of money and I think it was my first year of uni. So yeah, a few, a few years in between my first year of uni. By that time, I was into computers and computer gaming and uh, uh, music. Um, I picked up the drums in the middle of high school and joined a garage band with a few classmates and got into the drumming. So, uh, so they were my main hobbies at the time. But, you know, I, had, I still had a thing for gliding or, or flying, really. And um, picked up a uh, model kit, uh, Aeroflight Brolga. Yeah. Good glider. Uh, yeah, really good glider. Two meter, good span, so it could, it could fly a bit. How but, did, you know, what year is this? This would have been late 80s? Or? Uh, yes. Uh, towards mid, mid to late 80s. Yeah, when they'd brought out the Albatross and the Brolga and the Aries, I think it's that generation. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of era. Because yeah, I built an Albatross at that time. Yeah. yeah. I can't. Ah, oh, the two and a half. The Albatross the two, and two and a half, half meter, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would have been even nicer. I broke the tail off that, carrying it to Elswick Park where the bus stop is in New Street. I hit the. I went through the gap where the bus stop is, bus stop and the oh, fence. Yeah. And I whacked the tail of the glider and broke it in before I flew it. So that was my, you know, horror story first venture into my Well, my, my story is pretty similar because <laughs> uh, um, I had no idea how to get it into the air, right? So I figured, you know, it's like you kind of launch it like a kite. So I had one of my gamer, one of my mates, um, we set out a, a fishing line, uh, hooked it onto the glider, him down the other end and start running and, and I couldn't get it right. It kept popping off the line and just gliding to the ground. Couldn't get any height out of it. But one time I managed to get it up to like, you know, treetop height off a launch. Maybe a third time, third attempt. And uh, oh, this is awesome! It's flying! It's flying! And you know, I'm just—I have no idea how to fly. I'm just focused on trying to get this thing to fly straight. And uh, I'm like flying straight, flying straight, flying straight into a tree at the edge of the park. Perfect. <laughs> So uh, broke the nose off. We go. Oh well, I'll pack that in. 
Um, and uh, yeah, shelved that for a few years. And then uh, I think uh, when I got my first, out of uni, I got my first job at a tech company and I ran, ran into two fellow, uh, two uh, similar thinking co-workers, similar-minded co-workers, and Andre and Ainsley, they were twins. And uh, one of them had formerly his pilot's license, so he was into flying. And anyway, they kind of I told them about my glider, and we kind of fixed it and decided to teach ourselves to fly with it. Um, I, I, I was reading all those, you know, by then the Airborne, I think, was around. You know, there's the, the um, uh, so, um, Ralph Leumont's uh, ad yeah. was in there. Yeah, and got in touch with him. And, and yeah, Southern Sailplanes drool over that ad. He'd always run yeah. in there. That 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 Kestrel, I always wanted. That was just humongous uh, at the time. Yeah, we drool over all these planes. But anyway, I went down to his place and uh, picked up a bungee. So now we had I had something to. Uh, I had one of those. Is, are we brothers or something? <laughs> because we did exactly the same thing. We bought bungee from Ralph Lehman. It was a good bungee too. I wish I knew where it was. It went missing somewhere, but um, it was a good bungee. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we taught ourselves to fly. Uh, meanwhile, I'd uh, sort of um, gone in. I tried to get into power flying as well, nitro. Picked up uh, one of the trainers. I think it was a Hobbyco trainer back then, 40 size. I was trying to teach myself to fly that. But, you know, I think trying to teach yourself this, you, you do every mistake you can think of when you're trying to teach yourself. Was it, where were you flying the the powered plane? Yeah, so uh, um, any park I could, I, I flew it at Osterwick Park. Which is probably, <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't kill anyone. Yeah. But anyway, I got away with it. Although I had one incident where the battery went flat and uh, mm. flat into the cricket nets. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah. I was lucky I got away with it. Yeah. Um, I think I picked up another ARF. You know, forty size, put all the gear in that. Uh, occasionally, I go to AFL or VFL Park, which is the same thing. Oh, yeah. And uh, when there wasn't any footy playing, it was just a huge area where there'd be nobody park. there. Yeah, it was a big car park. Yeah. So um, the boat club was a there was a lake at VFL Park as well. So there was an RC boat club there. So I'd go and negotiate them uh, frequency on the keyboards and. Uh, and uh, flying my nitro plane around uh, Waverley Park. And how did you go teaching yourself? Oh, yeah, like I said, uh, was it the second plane? I think the first one, the battery, uh, I didn't charge it, and the battery went flat, went off the air. There was at Osterwick Park. The second one, I had actually some mates, spect you know, watching me fly and spectating. It's always when your friends are around. And I'm doing wider and wider circles. And then on, on, the, on, on one of the downwind runs, the mate goes, are you flying between the power poles? Next thing, smack. Uh, <laughs> Split the plane straight down the centre. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When the, when the friend says, uh, are you flying near the tree? <laughs> yeah, I am actually. I just noticed when the wingtip hit it. <laughs> so I lost another model. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't, you know, this was over, you know, a, a longish period. But uh, yeah, like and another one, another time at AFL Park, I think I was trying to show off my brother. Went down there after work, set up the plane, plugged it all together, took off, 
It rolled left, it rolled right into the ground. <laughs> plug, plug the other ones in the wrong way around. Yep, well done. Yeah, no, I've never done that. <laughs> I always check, pre-flight checked. You know what? The, I guess, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Every But from every mistake, you learn, you know, okay, pre-flight check. Okay, charge your batteries. That's what I was going to say is that, you know, <laughs> When we talk about people, you know, if someone comes to me and says, oh, I want to get into model flying, I say, okay, go and buy a simulator. That's the first thing, all right? So you'll get the gist of the, the control movements and how the plane reacts. And then go and join a flying club and get some lessons, all right? Because yeah. it'll be more cost effective that way. You'll probably crash a bit less and you'll probably learn the right way. But no, Jim has showed us how to do it the hard way. Yeah, the expensive way. Yeah, yeah. But you kept anyway. on learning, as you said. You kept on learning. Yeah, it is. and. Um uh, what did I do next? Uh, oh, yeah, went back to Ralph and picked up a a ricochet. Is that they, they were pretty cool? I so love I bought the thermal, the the thermal wings and and the slope wings for it. Oh yeah, yep, yep. The, I, the ricochet glider was like the glider to have, and it was the most beautiful looking fuselage. I just I, I bought one off a friend for eighty bucks, and it's just sitting on a shelf, and I'm happy for it. To, it's it's it needs a lot of work, but. If anybody's got a ricochet glider out there that's in reasonable condition, even brand new in the in the kit, please yell out because that's my childhood. That's like the historic car kind of thing for me. Because um, and they're pretty out of date now, but it's just yeah. something about them. Yeah. So you built that up. Yeah, I built that up. Was and, it uh, was it a tricky build? Because I've had a look at the the manual. You know, I've got I've got a copy of the instruction manual somewhere, and um, it looked like it was a fair bit involved. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it was too bad. I didn't do the mechanical setup. I, I think I put servos in the wings. I, mean, I can't remember. I don't think I ever actually used the slope wings. I, uh, I just used the thermal wings because they just have a servo for the spoiler on top, and the wings were pretty easy. I think they were sort of ribbed. It was a combination. Yes, it was ribbed. Yeah, it was sort of half ribbed and half sheeted or whatever. Um. Yeah, so kept flying that at Elston Week Park with my mate. So my mate had bought a Sunbird by that time, a second-hand Sunbird, uh, one of Rolf's earlier, the predecessor to the Ricochet. So that looked pretty nice too. How did the Ricochet fly? Uh, it was faster. Well, yeah, it was faster because it was heavier. It had a high mm. wing loading. So even the thermal one was fairly quick. Yeah, you know, relative, not not quick, mm. quick, but you know, compared awesome. to me coming off a, off a two meter brolga, it was quick. But it was fine because you could fight in windier weather. So you know, pros and cons. That's true. Uh, so, and then one weekend at Us Week Park, we we're both there, and um, two of the guys from Varm show up, and uh, they were competition flyers flying competition. Uh, F3J, not really F3J. We fly uh, open thermal in, in Australia, which is a winch task where you launch and you try to get 10 minutes. And uh, if you land uh, within a metre radius of a spot, you get 100 points. You lose five points for every metre you're away. So these guys, they're, they're from the Varms Club, which is a very well-known Victorian gliding-centric club. They rock up to Elswing Park. They didn't happen to have like a big yellow glider because I remember being down Elswing Park and these massive, massive gliders there. Uh, uh, no, these guys are into the competition stuff. So, you know, three-ish metre, fully moulded, state-of-the-art, powerful winches. 
And it's like they launch and it's just rocket. It's just off to the moon. Hmm. How much height um, do you reckon they were getting off a launch? Uh, well, we uh, I think they had short lines because Austin we parked wasn't quite easy to set up the full. Normally, it's two hundred meters in in those in that event at that time. We were launching off two hundred meter lines, um, so on a good launch, if it's really windy, you can hit way past three hundred meters. So I don't know if you've ever seen a, a winch launch. You know what? I've never seen a winch launch. I was just thinking. Oh, it's, it just blows people away when they see it. Yeah. It's a bit like a um a um a discus launch as well. Yeah. When someone sees yeah, you I'm, throw a discus launch, they can't believe how quickly the thing goes up in the air and how high they can Yeah, go. they're pretty amazing. Uh, I got into that eventually as well. Of course you did. Um, so, yeah, I saw these guys launch these things and i got to have one of those. So next thing, I bought a, a winch and was flying my uh, my um, ricochet off a winch and uh, I wanted something full house. So, uh, yeah, I jumped onto, oh, what the hell was it back then? RC, no, not RC, the, training uh, post. Training post, of course. Trading post and uh, saw somebody was selling a full house, like 3.3 meter or three and a half, whatever meter, kind of like a big, uh, like an eclipse, but it was, uh, it was a fuselage called the Europa, off a of Europa, and uh, he'd uh, custom built his own sheeted wings. And this was uh, Marcus Stent. Oh, okay. Who, you, who you've had on the uh, yeah, podcast. Yeah, Marcus, he's a good guy, knows a lot about well, that. First time I met Marcus, I bought his uh, former competition plane because he was going into fully molded stuff. And at the time, he was showing me all the prototype. He was actually doing building fully molded bits and pieces at the time, working his way up to building his own plane. So it was pretty amazing to see these uh, components, which were just so strong. You know, you try to bend it or, or twist it, and it's just so strong out of something that weighed very little. Um, so anyway, I bought his plane. So a funny story there. So I'm, I'm still thinking I can fly this thing like a ricochet, right? Like a two-channel ricochet. So my first day out there, I've set this huge three-and-a-half-meter plane up with, with ailerons and flaps. It's a full-house plane, but I've decided, no, yeah, no, I'll just uh, tape up the other ones oh, <laughs> and just no. fly like a two-channel. Oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so luckily, it was a calm day. So anyway, I've got it, got into the top of the winch, and then I've realized <laughs> I can't turn this thing. <laughs> it's just got so much. Uh, it's so flat and unstable. So I'm doing the biggest circuit you can think of at Elstonwick Park, waiting for this to lose height and land. Oh, no. Thank God I got it on the ground. Like, uh, and Marcus had uh, advised me to go and get a computer radio so you can set up all the flaps and ailerons, all the mixing and all of that. So then I went and did that. So oh, this must have been mid-90s at this point because uh, I'd just seen the review for the JR3810 in uh, Airborne and they'd given it a good review. And uh, I thought, perfect. I went and got that. Awesome radio back in the day. How much did you pay for something like that back then? Can you remember? Uh, I'm trying to remember if it was over or under a thousand because it was a whole kit of four servos, yeah, receiver, seven. you know, switch harness and uh, transmitter and charger. So, yeah, they weren't cheap. 
uh, for 3810. What was that? Three model memories, eight model, uh, eight channel, 10 models. And full computer, so you could do mixing, have expo as well and all that? Yeah, yeah, all of that. Um, all of that, but it was still pretty basic. Um, but it was enough to get me started. And uh, then I had a bit of a sliding doors moment. So I'd still kind of was still flying the nitro stuff on the side, the little 40 size stuff. But I'd really wanted you know, a nice scale, nice scale power plane. So I'd, uh, I'd put in an order for the flare, the flare Fokker DR1, the flare oh, triplane, yeah. the quarter scale one. <laughs> I, put, I put the order in for that and everything, you know, all the scale details, all the bits and pieces, the, 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 uh, an appropriate motor for it. So it was quite a bit of money. And, uh, and then I waited and then I waited and I waited. I think I waited six months. And then I heard a rumor that, you know, they were just waiting on the stuff to come in. And then I heard a rumor that somebody had jumped the queue and got one before me. And uh, that really pissed me off. So I said, screw this. I'm going to go and buy a molded glider. And that set me on my, uh, my uh, competition glider. Started my competition glider course. Okay. So had you joined, had you joined VARMS or anything at that point in time? Or Yeah. So, so my Europa and that, that one, I, I joined VARMS to fly there. So, but I was only flying gliders there. I, I, can't, I don't think they had a runway there. I think it was just a big paddock at the time. So, yeah, I just purely flew gliders from from kind of then on. Did you find that your, your gliding changed when you joined the club? Did you learn a lot more and about techniques and things like that? Or Yeah, uh, I can still by, – by this stage, I wasn't doing dumb things anymore and, you know, I – some semblance of control. Um, I'd uh, bought the, I think it might have been the very first simulator, uh, the Dave Brown. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, the Dave Brown uh, simulator yeah. for the PC. I think I'd heard of it. Yeah, it was really long ago. It was basically a steel box with two sticks on it and I think a couple of switches. And the simulator was really basic. I mean, it was on a, I was running on a 486 PC. Oh, yeah. So it was state of the art back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, basically, you could, it had helicopters and it had power planes. And uh, power planes, uh, oh, yeah. So it came as a Mode 1 because gliding, you know, two channel gliders at the time. So I think I, I bought it when I still had my Brog or whatever and was trying to get into power. So, uh, yeah. Uh, it came as mode one because two channel gliders are typically mode one. Um, and I'd be trying to fly this plane around with mode one and, you know, trying to get, come to grips with the ailerons and everything. And I would just plow it into the runway every time. I just couldn't get it lined up and land nicely on the runway. And, and I've gone, you know, real planes have the aileron and rudder, uh, elevator on the right stick. So I, I rewired the, the box to make it mode two and from the very first takeoff and landing on the simulator i nailed every landing mm. perfect i'm going screw this mode one i'm flying mode two motor champions that's what i say i'm a mode two fly so uh, yeah yeah there's not many of us around no you'd be surprised though when i was out at the field the other day we were having this discussion about modes and blah, blah, blah. 
and it was pretty split. I, I, I didn't realise how many people were flying mode two. Aaron Gall, Glenn Orchard, um, Belint yeah. Banco. Yeah, you know, I um, yeah, I'm a fan of. I'm a big fan of mode two, mode champions. I say. Yeah. So, and at one point, I could still fly both. I could interchange, but it just became so long since I flew mode one. I'm kind of really rusty at it. Yeah. Okay, so y- you started competing. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, I went through three molded gliders, learning and making mistakes. Um, still trying to teach myself. Um, so, well, I lost the first one. The first one went off the air. Mm. The first molded one I bought, I was I was a spec high. And uh, it turned out somebody had uh, switched on my frequency. So this is back in the 36 days. Somebody had switched on my frequency and the thing's just gone in from like, I must have made it. It felt like a kilometer up, just straight into the ground. Uh, and then I bought an identical one off uh, another guy at the club, and I flew that for a while. And uh, I was getting obsessed by now. I was like going and flying these things every week and trying to get better at it, trying to learn the thermal. I'd bought uh, Dave Thornburg's um, DVD on uh, Old Buzzard. You ever heard of the Old Buzzard Go Sorry? No. It's a, it's a very famous uh, gliding book from 93 on, uh, you know, how to find thermals, how your plane behaves, you know, how to set it up. And, and he also put out a video, so I, I had that. And that was, that was brilliant for getting you started in thermally. You know, when, when the nose pitches up or whatever, or if the wing pitches up, what does it mean? You know, you're brushing next to a thermal. Um. And you know, if 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 it's a calm day and the wind's blowing a certain direction, the wind's blowing being drawn into the thermal, it's being sucked in the bottom. So that's the direction of it. Um, all all those sort of you know beginner kind of when you know nothing about thermaling was uh, really uh, helpful. So yeah, so the second one, what happened? The second one, the second one, I'm flying in the in the uh, midsummer, really hot. I'd put on sunscreen, it's blowing a gale, and I'd uh, tensioned up, tensioned up to, to launch on the winch, and uh, suddenly uh, 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 some turbulence, the plane slipped out of my hand and it's gone cartwheeling across the field. Oh, no. And, uh, full tension. Oh. So was it wrecked? Oh, yeah. Just, you know, every, every yeah, just cartwheeled, on, you know, on the winch line. Anyway, that was the second one. Then I picked up a Tragi 701 secondhand, which is another kind of, I don't know, you're not really familiar with these planes. So there was another competition plane. It it kind of did popular uh, at the first World Championships. So the first World Championships in F3J, which is the gliding task, were in 97. And, um, yeah, uh, Trigi 701s were popular. But where did you get these models from? Like, who was somebody importing them or do you have to buy them? Yeah, so the the stalks at the time was um, brought in by Graham Norman, who just passed away this year. Uh, He he had Gliders Australia. I don't know if you ever heard of Gliders Australia. 
Um, they've probably come and gone. There's a uh, guy in New South Wales that bought it, bought the business off him, and then he retired. So anyway, Gliders Australia. So there was people who who would bring in planes for themselves, and as a bonus, you know, bring in some extra and sell sell them off. Uh, Tragis were sold by Mike, uh, but I Mike O'Reilly model flight, but I'd gotten mine second hand off Bill Bland in Sydney. Um, and this was a uh, version one of this plane. So all of these just kept evolving, right? So there's a, there's a class there's a class called F3B, which is a winch launch class, but you have to do three tasks in it. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, um, there's a there's a there's a thermal task where you have to do, like I described earlier, you launch and you've got a 12 minute window, and you've got to get 10 minutes in that 12 minute window, 10 minutes in the air, and then accurately land on the 10 minutes within one meter. And then there's a second task where um, there's two 150 meter apart pylons and it's, uh, it's called uh, the distance task. And you've got a seven minute window. And this is, uh, so you need callers at all the boxes. And typically there's three or four pilots and there's callers for, there's spotters for or it's like pollen racing. You have mm. spotters at the, base, the first base and the oh, yeah, yeah. base, and uh, they buzz you when you've uh, passed the uh, line. And you, and you try to see how many line, uh, laps you can do. So you've got in distance, you've got a seven-minute window, and you see how many laps you can do in that uh, uh, seven-minute window to get into the air, and then you've got a four-minute window within which to do as many laps as you can between those two um, pylons. And you can go as far up and down, left and either side of them as you like uh, and you try to find thermals in that sort of corridor where you're doing the laps so it's, it's a it's probably one of the best rc events because uh it's man on man so there's like four gliders trying to find the best air to do laps in yeah. and then once once somebody finds it everybody's like onto them and they're all trying to churn churn out laps and if it's really good air you're you're basically going as fast as you can and trying to turn as tight as you can and do as many laps. And it just becomes a race. It's just awesome fun. And you've got to use the same glider for all the tasks? Um, the you're allowed, yeah, yes. In a round, you have to use the same glider for all three. Yeah. But between rounds, you can chop and change. So it's, you can register three gliders or use three gliders in a competition, but yeah, you have to use the same one. So what can happen is, so the third task is speed. So speed is launch and do uh, four legs, so two round trips of the course as fast as you can. So it's a, it's a speed, you know, speed task. And people take turns and see how fast they can go. And that one's the real, that's really hard. I, I found that the hardest. Do they still run F3B? Uh, it, the problem is it needs too many helpers. Like, like I said, especially for distance, you need a person per per pilot at 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 the bases and it's just really hard to get helpers yeah. and uh south australia ran an event every two years which was huge um we used to run it we used to run it here when we in melbourne when we had more uh, more people around to do it and uh but yeah once you get below a certain number they're just it's just too hard to run uh it's still huge in wa so WA usually fields a team for the world championships. And uh, 
because they've got enough interest over there still to run some decent events. So what was your main category that you were flying? Uh, yeah, I was uh, F3J or what we call here open thermal, which is that 10-minute um, task within a 12-minute window plus the landing. That's kind of the popular, that was the popular winch class. But worldwide, it was basically that first task of F3B. We just made it a standalone event. Um, because it was 12 minutes, people would launch at different times. They weren't in launching at the same time, which means when you're landing, there's people landing at different times, so you wouldn't be on top of each other. You know, and, you know, there'd be potential of mid-airs at landings because everybody's... Um, so the international events is F3J, um, which is kind of dying a slow death as a, with a F5J yeah. overtaking it. Yeah, it's amazing with, to see the growth of F5J, which is the uh, electric-powered launch, which you, you compete in that as well, don't you? Yeah, well, I went to the first World Championships for it. So I, okay. I went in F3J, I went to the – I qualified in 2009, I went to the – 2010 uh, World Championships. Where were they? In France. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It was the Dole District. Kind of around the Burgundy area, I think, in France. Yeah, so F3J, the task is 10 minutes in a 10-minute window. Yeah. So you can't actually do 10 minutes because you've got, you your launch window, you got your launch time because the clock only starts once you come off the winch line. And um, and you've got to land before the 10 minutes because now you're, you'll be over if you go. So if you go over the 10 minutes, you lose your landing points. And uh, I think you actually get a penalty as well. So you do not want to go over the, the you've got to land before the 10 minute window. Yeah. And uh, they made that really accurate by measuring down to 20 centimeters to get uh, to get your full 100 points so a 20 centimeter radius and every 20 centimeters you're away you lose a point so and the uh, launches became really fast because techniques improved so in f3j it's not they weren't using winches it was hand toe so you had to have uh, helpers there to Help tow your plane up. Typically, two people running on the end of on the end of a fishing. Uh, so you'd hook it up to your glider. You'd run a fishing line out to 150 meters is F3J. Out to two guys holding a uh, holding onto a pulley, and then it would come back and be pegged into the ground. Oh no, was it? No, no, it was pegged uh, at their end. So it was only a 150 meter line. Um, yeah, so you'd want to get, as soon as the clock started for the 10-minute window, you'd, you'd uh, indicate to the runners to go for it and uh, you'd want to get, try, you'd try and pre-tension the thing as much as you can because um, that was all the energy you were going to get, basically that slingshot at the start of building up tension and, uh, and getting that little ping at the end of the launch. So it was very, uh, you had to have your plane set up really well. So you had a lot of tension on it. And when it, when you let go and maintain that tension, otherwise 
because the guys can't really run. And if you, everything's set up right, they'll take a few steps and then all the tension will come on and uh, they don't have to do much after that. Just hold on for the dear life. And then hope you don't fall over when uh, all the comes off. <laughs> I've just got this image of uh, these elderly aero modelers trying to run with a line, not trip over. Oh, yeah. So, so those that was a great event for the world's uh, in France because uh, we had because it needed helpers. It was like all our mates that we flew with all came across to help us. So it was like a team of you know a manager, three pilots, and uh, and uh, four helpers. And uh, it's just one big party. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I was uh, the pilots were me, uh, David Hobby. Um, so this is after he'd won the Worlds twice. Uh, and uh, Carl Straughton's, I don't know if you know Carl. He's, a, no. he's been a, he actually finished, so that Worlds, Carl finished third. Really? Yeah, so he got the, he made the podium. So he's one of, he's one of the country's top pilots, although he's uh, got a young family at the moment, so he's not doing a lot of flying. The usual story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you know, we were there. We we're doing team bonding. We actually went and saw the uh, the, the the end of the Tour de France. We we're <laughs> in the uh, whatever that square is there, yeah. and uh, and uh, you know, the bikes do that final vic- you know victory Laps, laps yeah. at the end there. Paris. Yeah, so uh, we we enjoyed all that. I mean, we we're having some beers in whatever that cafe in the middle was. Got to be the most expensive rounds of beer. I've ever <laughs> yeah. for. Still expensive, I hear. Um, but you know, there'd be like a guy walks, a, a guy's walking across the park in the, the demon's jersey, mm. and no, uh, we're, we're all onto him, mm. and just the Aussie comes out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's always <laughs> the case when you're overseas, no matter where you're from. If you see fellow countrymen, it's like straight away you got to be mates because you know, hey, we're from the same place. Let's go. <laughs> so you went to a couple. So you went to a couple of world champs. Yeah, so I went to those. I kind of did average. I had a lot of radio problems. I'd, what were you uh, flying? Uh, unfortunately, it was Spectrum, but the module stuff back then because the, the DSM-2. Yeah. DSM-2? Yeah, the original. Yeah. And um, that made us uh, – France has got these weird rules on spread spectrum where you can only use half the band at full power. So um, – they kind of it's a special mode i don't know if they still do it on transmitters or not but you'd see some 2.4s some radios had a switch that for france you turn it on and it would limit the band oh yeah it yeah, reduces the power and i think it was a combination of that and the fact that we were at an airport and uh, i just went off the air so many times it was just really frustrating what are you flying now radio was uh i've been flying jetty for almost 10 years now oh really you're an early adopter uh, yeah, so early adopter. Um, yeah, I, I love it. It's uh, actually last week I, I upgraded to their version two of the same radio, which is a, f- a few more bells and whistles. Um, yeah, but I, f- I fly everything on it, almost everything. I fly everything by hand launch on it because the only time I've ever dropped a transmitter is throwing a glider for hand launch. Okay. It's like uh, it's an expensive radio that I don't want to drop. Yeah, I'll build, build, build it's aluminium milled. They're pretty solid, but yeah, the way they've the way it's been designed, everybody else is still catching up, and it's got such common sense stuff in it. 
Mm. Like the screen at the top. Yeah. You know, why, why would you have the screen at the bottom and have your, your lanyard that's holding the radio covering your screen? Yeah, that's true. He's much um, better at the top. The um, I hear, though, that the FR skies are pretty popular amongst some of the gliding guys as well now, especially in yeah, discus launch. Is a, is a, it's, it's just uh, most of the guys I know who have flown competition have switched to Jetty. It's popular with the jet flies because they like the 900, mm. although I think Free Skies released the 900 as well now. Yeah, they're probably. I don't know if jet flies want to fly with a Free Sky radio. Well, you know, I've had um, I was talking to some guys on the weekend, and they're using them, and they're, they're saying they're great. Actually, there was a there was a, on the lighter side of RC YouTube channel, they did a, a radio test, uh, and they had all the major brands and stuff like that. And um, the FR Sky actually performed the best as far as range, and it's because yeah, the, the dual surprised, band. What, what surprised me about that? I watched it, yeah. and what surprised me is I, what I didn't know is on the on the the Free Sky and the other one what was the the other. The other cheap radio, so the one that can do the multiple oh, yeah, radio master, radio master. You can select the output level on them. Yeah. So he was going and doing the tests at this many watts, this many watts, oh, this yeah. many watts. I mean, that's illegal here. Yeah, you can't do the extra power. Didn't realize but, that. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, that's why they they killed the opposition because they can pump out half a half a watt or one watt or whatever the whatever it was. And it's like how how and how does that pumping out that much affect radios that you're flying next to in the pits because hmm. you'd be splattering the band. Yeah, good point. Can you think about that? Um, but also he himself flies jetty. Yeah. Yeah. It was, so, uh, I'm a spectrum flyer. Yeah. I mean, I've still got my spectrum flying all, all my hanging on. The only issue I've got with, spectrum and gliders is they don't make a lot of small gliders for like that fit into fuselage as well like in my f5j glider i've had to pull the case off and trying to hook it up to get the aerials to point out of the carbon fiber fuselage and all that's a nightmare but um i told you on the weekend i'm bringing my glider around so you can finish it and get all the wiring sorted it's <laughs> doing my head in it looks like spaghetti it's that's just i don't know how anybody can have a neat setup inside one of those gliders because there's hardly any room Oh, you need to uh, learn to crimp uh, light, you know, wires. I know, but it's 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 more than that. It's because positioning the where I've got to position the um, receiver and everything is just oh, I've got to show you because I've got this Explorer yeah. three or something F five J glider and it's got a new fuselage after I cracked the last one, and it's got a removable yeah. front nose. And so I've got to, right. to put things in and then put the nose on and blah, blah, blah. It's just a mess. I don't know. I'm going to have to show yeah. you one day. Um, yeah. Well, I, I these days in F5J, I fly with the Prestige uh, Mike O'Reilly cells, the Prestige 2PK. So that's the, um, what's the brand, Pike? Is it, what's it called? Uh, uh, yeah, it's by Samba. Samba, Samba models. But uh, it's called uh, Prestige 2PK. That's a yeah. So how new is that? How, what was that? How new is that? That's a new new kit, isn't it? Uh, they were testing it at the 2019, 2019? 2019 World Championships. They had the prototypes out that yep. they'd handed out to a few select pilots, and I wasn't one of them. Oh, come on, Jim. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so I was kind of, yeah, so I went to the 2019 F5J champs with uh, Marcus and Andrew. Yep. Who did uh, really well this year. Yeah, came third. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. So the, so the whole competition thing, obviously, like, when you think back, you, you've been doing this for a long time. Um, so you must have a, a big, deep passion for the competitive side of stuff. What what keeps you coming back to competition? Um, well, to start with, I learned a lot. It's competitions where you learn the most. Like when I first started, I was really frustrated because I would follow pilots in the air and I wouldn't get my time. I wouldn't follow pilots in the air. I still wouldn't get my time. So <laughs> it was just practice and, and being able to detect things and and my glider setup is improved. There is just so much programming to because we we optimize the hell out of our gliders to to um to fly optimally in in all conditions because because uh, in full house gliders you can change the camber of the whole wing you can move the trailing edge of the whole wing up and down mm. um, when you you know when you move it up that's kind of a, that's a, a reflex kind of setting and it makes you sacrifice lift for uh speed hmm. so if you're trying to if you're downwind and you're trying to punch through the wind you, you put it into give it a, raise the trailing edge of your main wing a bit and uh it speeds your plane up makes it more efficient and then to slow it down when you're in when you f- actually find lift and you want to slow it down you drop the trailing edge of your uh of your wing and cam- camber right up and uh slow slow as much as you can down i mean there's a point where it becomes drag uh, so you got to find you know your optimal, and uh, I typically have several positions. I, I do it on a switch, so I can have several like you know, like I, I drop a wing one millimeter, three millimeters, five millimeters, and um, depending on the conditions, if it's very turbulent, it's hard to fly with a, a high load of camber because it makes the plane a bit unstable. But if it's dead calm first thing in the morning and you just want to hang there, you want to you know you want minimum sink so. Camber it up as much as you want. The air's pretty stable, so the plane sits pretty nice. Um, we also do things like um, um, uh, run run full span. So that's where the hot, the flap and the aileron act in unison as a one big aileron. So the advantage there is if you need to roll at a certain rate, but if you're now using the whole wing to roll, you can roll, you can, you know, the deflection could be less to get the same roll rate if, you, if you're yeah. using the whole wing as an aileron, which means less drag. That's a very, very interesting point because I never thought of that. Straight away I thought, oh, well, you're going to be able to, you know, throw in some more throw, but no, it's not. It's, you're reducing the throw so the wing's staying a bit more efficient to, to achieve the same outcome. Rather than just having yeah, exactly. outboard ailerons, yeah, okay, it makes that's a not I should set up. The the other one's um, snap flap is yes. Now explain what snap flap is. Yeah, you pull on the elevator and it drops the whole uh, trailing edge of the wing down, cambers the wing. So um, because cambering the wing basically gives you lift is up, you don't have to use as much. Uh, elevator to do the same thing. It's the wing is more efficient. A little bit of up on the wing is is you need way less deflection of the elevator, which is more drag. Yeah. 
It's amazing how much finesse is required to, for a good glider flight. Yeah, so there can be as much set up in that. I mean, what disappoints me that that uh, the winch launch stuff has kind of died is, you know, that whole aspect of the launch because there was a whole other thing you had mm. to to set up for because, you know, you had to keep as much tension as you could and then you had to transition into, you know, a speed mode just before you 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 slingshot at the end to to and all that happens really fast so things can go wrong really fast too how, how long does a launch take a winch launch winch launch uh, well going up it can be well in f3j they try you try to make it as fast as you can because you're on a clock for the whole thing um so they can be like two second launches three second launches and mm-hmm. and uh in in at the top level, people are doing half second launches. That's crazy. So you'd have to have a pretty yeah. strong plane to withstand the, the forces. Oh yeah, so that that's the beauty of these, uh, you know, molded planes with the carbon spars and and carbon skins. And uh, yeah, you, you can sit on a center panel. Well, in the winch stage, you can sit on a center panel and not bend it. Yeah. Like if you put it across two chairs. They were, they were made for taking phenomenal G-forces. I'm not going to try that, Jim, with my plane. But then it's the compromise of you, if you build it too strong. Um, so, you know, if it's really stiff, it maintains a lot of energy as it goes up the line mm. rather than bleeding it off as it bends. So if it's stiff, it, you know, you, gotta, you get a better launch. But then it's heavy because you've built it strong so it's always the compromise of uh, weight versus strength. Mm. And once F5J came along, where you don't need to do winch launches anymore, suddenly uh, you can get the planes really thin wings and really, really light. I mean, uh, four-meter planes, there's a FAI wing loading, I think. Andrew talked about it, where you know your, your four-meter plane can be down to one, just over a kilo. Is you know crazy weights for a four meter plane, but they fly so nice. Yeah, I just love the look of them. Like you look at it and you just think it's like the Formula One of the skies for gliding, and it's um because like you, I've always I've always had always loved gliding. That's how I got into the hobby, and and like you did at Elswick Park, saw people flying there, and just was fascinated watching these big gliders fly, and um and I also love I may have said this to you on the weekend how. Gliding competition, if I was going to compete in anything, it'd probably be gliding. I just like the idea that you have these short working times uh, where, you know, you do a round and 10 minutes is done and you'll probably be back in the air in another 20 20 or so minutes, having another go to see if you can improve or, you know, okay, it's like clearing the slate. Let's go and have another crack and see see how we go. Whereas, you know, when you're flying iMac or scale or something like that, you're building up points and you've got multiple rounds and, you know, all the points add up and, you know, it's a precision flying task. Whereas with gliding, it's not necessarily about, well, part of it's precision in the landing especially, but you don't have to do loops and rolls and fly to a prescribed sequence at, at all. It's just you and the elements and trying to maximise, you know, your flight times and then your own judgement for landings and things like that. And um, I think the thing that converted me was I was at Varms one day. I shot a video. It's on the Flat Out RC YouTube channel about the um, altitude limited electric soaring ALES competition, and I thought it was unreal. I was just going, "This is just so good." 
it was only it wasn't a great day for 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 gliding, and so they had five minute working times, and it was just everybody launches to what is it, 100 meters or 120 meters? What was what's the launch for? It's 100. Yeah, 100 yeah, meters. 100. You have a limiter that stops the engine. Everybody launched, and it didn't matter what glider at that point in time. It didn't matter what glider you were using. So you had everyone from a Dave Prattley with a four meter wingspan glider to some smaller home built stuff and whatever, and everybody was just as competitive as each other. And I thought this is just right up my alley. So I've always said, you know competition gliding i really like that because it, it keeps you engaged as well like what's the downtime so once you've done a round how long do you have to wait before it's your turn again uh in in um in that two meter class it's pretty quick because it's only a short uh it's only a five minute task um in in the bigger comps the f5j it's a uh, 10 in 10 plus maybe three or four minutes prep time in between a heat. So there'll usually be a few heats because people are either flying or they're helping. And um, there'll typically be three heats for a big comp here. So what's that? You'll be waiting maybe 30 minutes to your next flight. Depends when you are in the next heat because it's jumbled. But uh, at worst, you'll be waiting uh, finish and you know, maybe waiting uh, 30 minutes for your next flight. So you'll get a few flights in a day. You'll get like, uh, I don't know, it depends on the time of year and how long the day is. But uh, uh, I think the last one, we, we had a really short time and we managed to get seven seven rounds in. So everybody had seven flights. And that was a short, that was a really, that was a really short day. Yeah, I noticed the iMac. I've never been to an iMac event before. I couldn't believe how much sitting around there is. There is. It reminds me of my car racing days where you'd um, turn up and you'd, you know, do two races in a day and uh, you'd spend hours in between waiting, you know, for the for your thing. And But I think the, the, the upside of the iMac thing is it is a very social thing as well um, where, um, you know, during that downtime people are talking, but also they judge each other and they scribe the results and everything for each other. So... They're not. They're engaged, but they're not actually flying. But yeah, they don't fly as much. That's why. That's the thing. Why I like what I like about the gliding stuff as well. Um, you know, it's, it's there's more. There's more action. Like, how long does a gliding competition generally run? Like an average one, not a world champs, but you know, if you go down to you know a local Victorian competition yeah, or something, a local F five J will typically start at uh, ten and try to finish maybe four ish. So it's generally a one-day um, event. With a, with a lunch break in the middle. Um, it's just a typical one we do locally. So in Victoria, we've got the RCGA, Radio Control Gliding Association. Uh, and I'm, I'm on that committee. I'm treasurer at the moment. I've been there for a long time. Um, and they're the special interest group that run competitions uh, across, the, across the state. So kind of state level, not, not the club level stuff. But the state level kind of competitions where people from all over can come and fly in an event. And then I'm also uh, on the, so that's a special interest group in Victoria. And then I'm, uh, and then there's the LSF, which uh, is the special Solar interest Florida. group for, uh, yeah, the League of Silent Flight Australia, um, which is the national special interest group. So they're the ones that run, mainly they run jewelry. As an event, but they also organise the team selection trials wherever they've got to be held for for the gliding events. 
Um, so I'm on that committee as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, we uh, yeah team trials. I'm trying to think of what's the next. The next team trial is uh, F3J, which is going to happen in South Australia, third of December. But uh, we'll see how many turn up for that because it's kind of lost a bit of popularity. But typically, Geraldry is our big uh, event. Yeah, it's Easter every it's, year. Uh, yeah, Queen's birthday every year. A Queen's birthday. But we also because because we got the race course out of Geraldry, we also organised the scale the scale event. That's right. Easter. That's the Easter scale event. Yeah, so that's very popular. Have you have you got? Yeah, that, uh, tell that, me. Actually, I, I haven't asked you. What gliders do you currently own? What models oh, in general? In general, uh, I've got a ton of gliders. I'm notorious. I'm notorious for not selling anything. <laughs> Order. <laughs> It's called hoarding. Yeah, I'm a hoarder. So I've got a ton of, uh, you know, competition gliders, F3J and F5J, and a whole bunch of hand launches. Um, uh, so that's that side. And then power-wise, I've always had kind of power on the side, kind of as a, just a fun thing. Uh, so I've got an extreme flight 50cc uh, Yak 54, but um, electrified, so 12s. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, a whole lot of little ones. Yeah, Tundra. It's good fun with the floats. Um, but uh, I've kind of gotten involved more and more with the um, Cobram Club. So I'm a member of quite a few clubs. Back in the day, it was kind of like anywhere I'm allowed to fly a scale glider or I'll set up a winch and fly a winch glider, I'll join the club. So, uh, but Cobram, kind of about the time, we would hold a, a cup weekend Erato there every year. And um, it kind of got really popular. And then Varm's, the field, I don't know, you may know, that it kind of got chopped up. And kept shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, and just wasn't appropriate to fly really big scale gliders. And uh, sort of, I would go there more and more and more. And uh, it's a very social club. And what about the new was, field there? That they've got the, the uh, yeah, uh, the new fields. The new fields okay, but uh, um, yeah, it's 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 very new. So. Oh, we've flown a couple of competitions there already. I don't think I've flown power off it yet. Um, but they're very restrictive because it's a gliding club. It's not really – you can only fly power there Saturday mornings till 1 p.m. and then the rest of the weekend gliding. And uh, they'll do an aerato there once a month, I think. Yeah. Where do you where do you normally fly? Like what's the main club or main place where you go for uh, yeah, either Varms if I want a quick glide. And then once a month, we kind of, there's a group of us that get together. So basically, all the guys who flew all the big gliders at Varms ended up uh, at Cobram as members. So we kind of schedule, and I'm a member there as well. So we kind of we message between ourselves and uh, say we're going to go up this weekend and we'll go together and fly whatever. And there'll be tow planes there ready to tow you up if you've got a scow glider. Um, but yeah, you just they just fly everything. You'll fly from control line to old timers to 
to uh, big, you know, iMac planes and big loaders and, you know, Nitro 40s and just anything you want to fly. It's great fun. What scale gliders you got? So scale, I kind of got into about the time the first Gerildry Aerato happened. I bought my first one, a DG600 at uh, 3.75 scale, which is 4.8 meters. And um, that, that's a fantastic plane to fly. It flies very similar to a competition glider because it's that sort of size. Um, so, yeah, I've had that a long time. I, I have all the scale planes I've ever bought. I haven't de- de- demolished any of them. <laughs> uh, that's a, a rarity. Uh, and then I bought a Geodiscus at the same scale. But uh, that's another beautiful plane. Um, being a twin seater, it was funny. Um, Vimes organised uh, full size flying, some full size flying, lighter flying out at uh, Bacchus Marsh. Yeah. And uh, the main dude there, I've forgotten his name, he's, he's passed away since. It took me up in the geodiscus. Yeah. You know, in, in, the, in the hopes I'd uh, join the club and learn to fly yeah. full size gliders. And, and a funny thing is, uh, like, I don't know, half a year later, we have an event at Bendigo and I show up with a scale duo discus. Mm-hmm. That's, he's going, that's not what you're supposed to. You're supposed to get into the full size. Yeah. Oh, I actually went and had a go on a discus actually at Benalla. And, um, yeah, and it was an exploratory thing to see, is this something that I really would like to go and do, learn how to fly gliders? When I started to get a bit motion sick, I thought, oh, to know about this, I really enjoyed it. And I felt really safe. Like the overriding thing for me was when I was in the glider was, yeah, it doesn't have a motor, but I wasn't worried. This thing was beautiful, and the view was great, and all that. So, uh, but I thought, no, I've got enough hobbies. I don't need to keep on find another one to, that I can rarely do because I've got too many other things on the go. But. Yeah, I'm the same. I get motion, I get motion sickness. Backus Marsh was great because we got into wave lift, and that's basically just. Climbing, flying a straight line. It was just fantastic. And uh, we were actually fighting to keep it below the, the height ceiling that day. It was just so powerful. But, yeah, it was just straight lines. But, yeah. Then I went up with uh, one of my mates who's a competitive glider flyer. And uh, he does really well. I think he just won the New South Wales State Champs in, in his class, I think. Yeah. I don't know. He does a lot of competitive. And, and he was like... In a thermal, throwing it around, you know, high bank angles, spinning it around, and like, you know, no, I couldn't take much of that. Yeah. Apparently, you get used to it. I've been told. Yeah. yeah. Now, how often do you get out gliding now in your models? Uh, yeah, I try to get out once a week. Once a week, flying something or other. Typically, so I joined, uh, I ended up joining P and Darks. There's a, uh, under Cobram's bad influence of flying more and more power planes. Um, so, yeah, I thought I'd better join a power club um, that's close-ish. So, yeah, join Penn Ducks uh, after COVID opened up, I think. And uh, so I'll, there I'll go and take a, a power plane or an EDF. I've got some nice little foam EDFs, the Freewing ME262, which I love, I love the ME262. Just rockets around the sky, and I've got a, a Venom as well. So, uh, so you're going to slow to, you're going so to slow I'll, fly, I'll, I'll, I'll pull those out, put them together, fly that, 
stick it on charge and then pull out the F5G lighter, fly that around. And then uh, once the EDF's charged, can fly that again and just keep rotating. Perfect. Well, you can teach me how to fly my F5J glider better once once you fix it for me and get it working. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> it sounds like a plan. <laughs> I'll remember down there. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> We've come to the final question. And that question is the question that I haven't asked for a while because I've had these guests on that have been on before and I don't need to ask them the same question. So it's good to have it back. And that question is, what has been your favourite model? That you've owned. My favourite. Yeah. Out of all the uh, problem is you've been flying for a long time, so you've had lots of different models, but you know, yeah. which is the one and that really like, you enjoyed. And, you know, you fly a few categories as well, like my scale. I mean oh, I, no. my uh, big my big Arcus is my is my famous one. Everybody everybody likes to see me take out and fly because that's that's eight meters. Oh gee. I don't know if you've seen a picture of that. No, you're going to send me one though, but I might be on your Facebook. Is it on your Facebook? Yeah, uh, it's probably in the, my pitch photo somewhere. I can't remember. Eight meters is uh, massive. Yeah, so that, and it's got an up and go system in it, so it can self launch. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I actually, I, I think I have seen it. Did you take a Shepherdon one year? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, I had trouble taking it off because it was at right. 90 degrees. The wind was 90 degrees. Yeah. I finally got it off and it bounced. <laughs> yeah, no, that's um, that's a yeah, I've gotten a lot glider. better at that. It's a real balancing act with that thing because the wingspan's so big. As soon as one of the wingtips touches, you ground roll. You ground, you almost ground yeah. it. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a balancing act, but I've gotten good at it now. Mm. That's a big, big glider. What 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 yeah. possessed you to go and buy a glider that big? Uh, just got to have one of everything. No, you don't have to have one of everything. What yeah, isn't it? He, he who dies with the most toys wins. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm I'm beating everybody. Like, <laughs> it, well, my, I've got t- multiple toys in multiple categories. So is that a category? <laughs> but my my wife's friends call me the hobby guy. And every Christmas when we ever get together, they say to me, um, what what did you do this year? What did you get this year? I go, oh, I got a jet ski. Of course you'd got a jet ski. So, yeah, no, I've got to get into that. Okay, so that big, big glider, that's a, that's a phenomenal one. Yeah, but uh, it might be one of my competition ones. No, oh, he's changing his mind. Here we go. You, you, <laughs> you, you, you're doing a Norm Morris on me, you know, create some categories. Well, my, you know, this is my favourite in this category. No, I, I'll, yeah. the, I'll repeat the question, Jim. It was what has been your favourite model, the one favourite? Uh, it'd have to be my my Tragi 701, I think, back from the old winch days because mm. I just flew that the hell out of that. Yeah, so it survived outlandings because you know it's not electric, so you can't fly back if you're too far away. And uh, yeah, it just uh, and it won me a, a lot of competitions. Eventually, I could launch it really well. I had it set up perfectly, so yeah, it'd have to be my old Trogi Seven Hundred One, which I actually, which I actually did sell. <laughs> no way. Well, I, I want to throw another question because it was something I thought I should have asked you earlier, but. You've been on the scene competing for a long time. A glider from 1997, 98 versus a modern day glider, how different are they? 
from 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 when? From, from say a, nine, a, a 1998 model versus a 2020. Okay, so they were the first generation of um, fully molded loaders. Compared to now, uh, yeah, so they've been able to make them lighter and stronger, basically, and because of that, they've optimized the the wing sections on them. So there's been a lot of um, research. Like the, f the first ones, you know, they'd have some um, wing profiles, you know, wing types that they'd try out and modify and whatever. And then some actual research went into it where um, the wings were optimized. And then, you know, the better materials came along, so they could be optimized even more. They can make them thinner, which means they could be lighter but still penetrate you know cover grounds better so and the spans have gone up so um, back in the day you wouldn't be able to launch a four meter glide out of those materials it would have just folded or it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been able to get a good launch out of it whereas now for you know those big gliders are the norm even 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 winch launching it and f5j Know, that's transformed them as well because you don't need the winch parts so they can be even lighter and uh, thinner and uh, more optimal yeah, that's true well jim hudalakis it's been good to have you on uh, i didn't realize we had a lot of things in common uh but uh, we're going flying i'm gonna go and fly gliders you're gonna be my, you're gonna be my wingman right i've just made you my my gliding wingman I need to get my F5 yeah, no glider up and running and I hope to get to a competition at some point in time because, as I said, I've always said I want to, if I was going to compete at World Champs, I want to compete at the F3K, the uh, discus launch gliding because your glider is as small and you can put them in your suitcase almost and, and transporting them is a lot easier than some of these other bigger models and stuff like that. But um, I'd love to come out for a fly with you. So, Jim Hudalakis, thank you once again. Thanks for having me. About to leave. Already packing, come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. And what an episode it has been. Big thank you to Jim Hudalakis for joining me, talking gliding once again, but really finding out about his story in aero modeling. And that is my aim here at the Flat Out RC podcast. It's to share people's stories and their life in aero modeling. We're getting them their story on record. And, you know, it sounds terrible when I say this, but, you know, we don't live forever. But this podcast becomes a bit of a record of um, you know, people's history in, in the hobby. And, and I hate to say it, but, you know, we have lost some people that have been involved and been, been guests. So if I ask you to come on the podcast, don't feel embarrassed. Get on board. It's just having a chat and it's good to get your story on record because everybody's got a story to tell as I say including myself but I'm not telling my story just yet we'll tell we'll listen to other people's stories probably more exciting than my own but anyway thank you for joining me don't forget to subscribe to all the Flat Out RC, Flat Out RC stuff the YouTube channel the Instagram the Facebook they're the key ones and of course this podcast and tell your friends if you enjoy it tell your friends they might want to listen to something whilst they're out in the sheds working on their model planes i'm a convert to podcast i converted a number of years ago can't live without them there's nothing beats cutting the grass with the mower with the headphones in listening to a good podcast even i ride my motorbike now 
with with a, uh, I've got a connection with the intercom system kind of thing, and I listen to podcasts whilst I'm riding my motorbike because it's perfect, not too noisy. Still hear what's going on around me, keeps me occupied. So, thanks for joining me. Really appreciate it. And get on down to your local events. So I covered a whole bunch. Into as an apology again, if I've forgotten your event, I apologise. I just can't remember everything. I'm a bit slow. Talk to you soon.